Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't dictate it a bit differently this time, as I am actually at home. Uh, in my home office working from the house today. Because of that, I'll get to have a little bit better audio quality for you, and I get to do something I haven't done for a while that I really like doing, which is answering your questions, but not the ones that you send me by email, but by uh, the voicemails that you leave me. So that's what I've got up in queue today is uh, about 10 different calls that are in. If you've called recently and I don't get your call in, man, I'm doing what I can. I want to start doing about two to three of these a month. Uh, right now I'm doing like one every two to three months, so doing what I can for you. Before we get into the questions and the calls today and the comments, uh, let's first take care of our housekeeping. Uh, number one, make sure you're supporting our advertisers, folks. These guys do a lot to really help support the show, and uh, today's advertisers of the day are... First up is Directive21.com, resellers of Berkey light water filters. Again, Directive21.com. Really recommend you check those guys out, and their URL is Directive21, the number two, the number one.com, not spelled out. And uh, they really have some awesome stuff. And again, I'm going to have the owner of that company come on and talk to us about water filtration and preservation. Uh, just trying to get that set up along with a bunch of other interviews I'm trying to get set up in the future here. And then our other sponsor of the day is MERS-radio.com. Again, MERS, M-U-R-S-radio.com. Great way to extend your communications without going maybe as far as the ham route. Uh, in fact, with uh, with a uh, power station up to about 20 miles of fairly reliable communication in most areas. So those two guys are great. Uh, they offer an awful lot to help the preparedness industry along with our other sponsors. So again, check them out. And remember, as always, sponsors on my site and on my show are personal endorsements. You don't just show up with a check in hand. First, got to get past me. Then you get past our listener ad council. And once they approve you, we'll actually let you on the site. Um, Moving on from there, make sure you're getting involved with our forum. There's a lot of little regional events starting to pick up. Big regional events and little regional events. We'll hear about a big one here in just a bit. But people are doing things now like meeting at parks and Starbucks and things like that, just starting to put palms together and make friends and and, and learn who other members are. They're doing that through the forum. And if that's not your thing, hey, it's an Internet forum, so 90% of it is still just people exchanging ideas. But you can learn about anything you want in the preparedness industry uh, from people that are really doing it on our forum. You get to our forum at thesurvivalpodcast.com slash forum or just go to the Survival Podcast com and click on forum. Uh, last but certainly not least, if you think you get more than 20 cents in value per episode, consider joining the Member Support Brigade and get exclusive content available only to members. Um, please remember, this show is supported mostly by listeners. Um, my revenue model, I'm not ashamed to share, is about 90% from listeners and 10% from advertisers. That keeps me accountable to you, the listeners. And we'll talk about that accountability here for a second before we go into our first call. As you may know, I was doing a um, a series for a while called Ask Clowns and Heroes, where every day I would note somebody that did something completely ass clownish, and somebody that did something kind of inspirational or heroic. Sometimes these people were political, sometimes they weren't. As you might imagine, the the ass clowns generally were more political uh, than the heroes. But uh, I read a lot of things in the forum about people discussing it, and it wasn't really the people that didn't like it that bothered me. It was the people that said, yeah, I could take it or leave it. And I thought, well, you know, I want to be accountable to my audience, so I asked you guys in a poll. Uh, Here were the answers. Should I continue the Ask Clown and Hero segment? Yes, continue the way it is. Got 146 votes, or 34% of the vote. That means people were enjoying it. But this is what happens as we start to look at the other options. No, kill it. It takes away from the core of the survival podcast. 13% just want it gone dead in a way. 13% not enough to swing the vote until we start adding the other things in. Continue with Hero of the Day but lose the ass clown. It's faster that way and it's more inspirational. Another 7%. So now we're at 20% versus 13 or 34%. So we still have a majority of people there that want the, the thing continued. Now, here's something that I thought of. I said, basically, do you want me to name an ass clown? Only when a real stellar ass clown moment happens. Like earlier this week with the Boy Scouts of the United Kingdom banning pen knives. 
and do the same with Hero, but lose it as a regular segment. So when something really amazing pops up, really stupid, beyond belief how stupid it is, or really cool, uh, that just warrants notice, only then bring it up, and 43% picked that option. Um, and then one person, or 0.2%, said, I don't know what I want. There's always the I don't know factor in a poll. But basically what it comes out to is 35% of the people would like it continued regularly, and a whopping 65 really don't like it as a regular segment. So as being accountable to you, my listeners, that's what's happening. And I, I mean it when I say I listen to you and I pay attention. It doesn't mean I give everybody what they want, but when there's a sweeping majority of my audience that wants something done or no, something not done, we're going to do it that way. So those of you that enjoyed the segment, hopefully the fact that I'll be doing it from time to time uh, will give you what you want, and hopefully I'm giving everybody what they want. This is not an easy call to make because there are so many people that seem to at least enjoy the segment. Uh, but I think that's the best way to go forward. That's being accountable to you. Now, before I go in to start taking questions, I have a call in from Shannon Appleby, who's putting the Region 6 get-together together. It's about a two-minute call. Just tell you what's going to be going on, what it's going to be like, and maybe if you're in Region 6, give you that last-minute encouragement to get there in a couple weeks. Or if you're thinking about putting one together yourself, kind of give you the encouragement to do that. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and let Shannon tell you about the Region 6 get-together. Hi, Jack. Shannon Appleby here from the Region 6 of, of, up here, and uh, we're listening to your show on a regular basis, as everybody does. Just wanted to call and give you an update on the Region 6 gathering that's going to be Friday, September 18th. That's when we set up camp, kind of get to know each other. Saturday's the real day of fun. We're going to be doing some first aid and fire kit, or first aid kit making, edible and medicinal plants, alternative energy sources such as solar, wind, and in-home energy efficiencies presented by the local rural electric cooperative. There's an off-site presentation on gardening, permaculture, and homesteading at a working homestead about a half mile from the park. Going to be doing some novelty rifle and pistol shooting. We've got a rifle range, rifle and pistol range right across uh, right across the river from us, so that's going to be a lot of fun. There would be prizes, door prizes and giveaways, but there will be prizes for the shooting too as Brownells out of Iowa is going to sponsor the event. This event also has a potluck supper, coupon exchange, round robin. If you don't know what that is, check out the... Check out the Region 6 Gathering Forum. Uh, doing some fire starting, both conventional and primitive, with bow drill, flint and steel, battery and steel wool. A lot of cool stuff. There's kids' games all day, so if you bring the kids, we've got stuff planned for them as well. Uh, gentleman from the IDPA, local, uh, local chapter here, is going to come and talk about some personal firearm safety. Homemakers, stereotypically they're ladies, but guys, you could learn a thing or two from these. Uh, doing everything from coupon clipping, salvage, grocery shopping, sewing, and more. Also, Jared's going to be coming in talking and showing how to build your own 72-hour bug-out bag. As everybody knows, not everyone's is the same, but he's going to give you a quick list on it. Amateur radio is going to be put on by kc 8 son. He's out of Minneapolis. Uh, he's going to be coming down, so if you've got some gear, bring it with you. Also, we're going to be doing some bucket food presentations, showing how to do it, some efficient ways of... Uh, keeping that stock going and, and without breaking the bank right at the first time. So after all that's done, I'm going to hang out in camp Sunday. More shooting, discussion, friendship, teardown, and leave happy and more educated. If you need to know where that's at, Matzel's is located. It's Matzel, Natural, Matzel Bridge Natural Area in Lynn County, Iowa. And uh, check out the forum. You can see it right there. It's only $8 a night. If you need to contact me for any information, it's right there on the forum as well. I hope everybody's uh, enjoying listening to Jack today. And, Jack, thank you very much for this, and I'll let you get back to your show. All right, well, hopefully we'll get a lot of people out to that event, and I wanted to let you know something pretty cool about that event. As Shannon mentioned, there's going to be prizes and giveaways and stuff like that. And uh, one of the people that stepped up to actually uh, help support the event is Springfield Armory. Now, I don't know exactly what it is that they're going to be contributing, uh, but the term was a box of goodies from Springfield Armory uh, will be brought out to the event. That's going to be really cool. And with that, let me go ahead and start taking the regular questions for today's show. Let me point one thing out. Shannon's call was nice and crisp and clear. I'm not saying it's the next call you're going to hear. I don't really even know, but there's a couple calls that are kind of low. I'm to do what I can to boost the audio for you, but please remember, I can control my audio quality, I can't control the audio quality of somebody calling in on a cell phone or an IP line or anything like that, I still want to answer your questions, so if someone's a little bit hard to hear, turn your iPod or your computer up while they're talking and back down, I'll do the best I can to level it, uh, that's my promise to you, let's go ahead and take the first question. Hey Jack, this is Hawks Bar from the Forum, 
Uh, I do have a question about selling silver. I uh, had asked you once before, where can I sell my silver if I buy it? Um, I live in, in Oklahoma, just right across the border uh, from Texas, right here on Interstate 35. I can be in Dallas in about an hour and a half. Uh, where could a guy sell silver or gold in Dallas, Texas, and get a profit? Um, might not be something that you probably want to discuss on the show. I don't know. Maybe it's something I need to, need to talk about in the forum, but... Where's a good place? Should I go like to Dallas, to Dallas Gold and Silver Exchange or, or what? I don't want to just throw my money away at the local pawn shops. Uh, need some help, man. Thanks a lot. Bye. Okay, well, that's a good question. First, let me say, though, there should be no reason for you to have to come to Dallas to sell your silver. Odds are that even if you can get a little bit better of a price, unless you're selling several pounds versus a few ounces, uh, you're probably going to spend more money in gasoline than may- and maybe, maybe get a little bit better of a price on silver. Most good coin dealers and metal dealers, uh, and, and even a lot of the, uh, the, the, like, I call them pawn shops, but they're not really pawn shops. The, maybe a little bit more upscale pawn shop, if that's the term for it, pay a pretty basic, uh, price on silver bullion. And it's generally a little bit under the spot price, and then they sell a little bit over the spot price. Uh, you're, you're probably not going to be able to walk into any dealer and get a little higher than spot. That's their sell price. They have to make a profit on what they're doing as well. So that's kind of how the metal industry is set up. Dallas Gold and Silver, though, I'll tell you what, they're good guys to deal with. Uh, I've both purchased and sold metal uh, with that organization. Uh, so if you happen to be in the area and you're looking to buy or you're looking to sell and you have your metal with you, I can't say anything negative about them. Uh, they've always done right by me. Now, maybe somebody's had a bad experience, but not me personally. Uh, and I've been to the, the one that's located right off of LBJ. Uh, and again, no, no problems there. Uh, but I do think you'll be able to find some places in your area. And, and here's where the good old-fashioned tool like the Yellow Pages is your friend. And you pick your yellow, local Yellow Pages up, look for coin shops, uh, look for pawn shops, look for metal dealers, uh, look, look under gold, look under silver. And call everybody there and say, do you buy bullion? If so, what do you pay in relation to the to current spot? And uh, it doesn't really matter what they're paying today. The person that pays the best is the one that pays the highest percentage of spot price. So, so that's what I would do. Uh, I wouldn't come down here just to sell your metal. Remember, one of the biggest reasons that we keep things like gold bullion, silver bullion, uh, and uh, pre-64 uh, silver coins... Uh, new, you know, uh, gold coins, you name it, ignits, rounds, it doesn't matter, is that gold and silver are commodities that are immediately convertible to currency in thousands and thousands and thousands of locations across the country and in millions of locations across the world. Uh, so don't overthink that one, but it is good that you're not just selling to whoever the local person is that buys, right? You do want to do a little bit of checking, but that's what I would do. I'd say if you made a half a dozen calls um, on the uh, on the phone to your local shops, you're going to find somebody's paying a fair price just under spot. Uh, the other thing you can do is you can go to Kitco. And uh, I believe they buy back anything, and you can sell that online. Of course, that's a, more of a paperwork transaction and sell. But I think at kitco.com, k-i-t-c-o.com, you can see what they're currently paying uh, for silver and for gold of various types, and that'll let you know whether or not you're getting kind of a fur, fair price from your local dealer. Uh, and with that, let's go ahead and take the next question. Jack, it's uh, Craig on the uh, forum. Username is Nanodeck. Love the show, as always. Long-time listener. I have a request for you. Um, You know about the guerrilla tactics, or I should say guerrilla tactics in quotations, um, in regards to uh, getting the message out about the podcast, Um, you know, trying to get more listeners involved in that sort of thing. And um, I know there's been talk on the forum in the past about uh, people burning copies of the uh, podcasts and leaving them in random places for you know people to pick up and listen to. <clears throat> I don't know if it would if it's kind of a long stretch, but I don't know if to try and get more people listening to the podcast or kind of maybe getting more of a better viewpoint from our perspective on what a modern survivalist is because you know how lovely the media is nowadays in regards to us just you know hiding beans bullets and band-aids down in our basement 
clutching our firearms and waiting for the apocalypse, if we, or if you, I should say, were able to put together some sort of uh, podcast that kind of was an overview for um, maybe a new listener um, in regards to not somebody who actively went out and searched for um, the podcast or just came across it when they were looking up things in regards to modern survivalism, but actually um, a show that, you know, kind of talked about, you know, maybe who you were and, you know, a link to the show and kind of gave an overview of our viewpoint on who we are as a group. And something, you know, not nothing long, you know what I mean, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, a short some sort of uh, show or, you know, even a side podcast that wouldn't even be something that would be part of a regular show, but something that, you know, we'd be able to utilize as a tool um, for those of us out there who want to get more people aware um, and involved in regards to, you know, something we can burn, you know, and throw out to, you know, leave them in bathrooms and, you know, here and there, you know what I mean. So I don't know if it's a you know it's just a thought and uh, thought maybe it could be something that we could do you know I would be you know actually I think doing maybe even a whole episode maybe not a typical episode that runs into the forty to fifty minute range but up to about a thirty minute range might not be a good idea a bad idea not be a good idea might not be a bad idea and it's something I think I'll, I'll look at doing maybe I can knock that out for you guys next week I think it's good for all of us and I think there's shows that I've done that are kind of like this. But have they really been tailored to being used for this guerrilla marketing? Which, let me just say, the guys that have done this, it's such a huge honor. I, I, if you would have said, hey, Jack, when you start doing the show, do you think people are going to like burn discs and like just throw them at people or leave them on desks or whatever or in bathrooms? I don't know if that's where I'd leave them. Uh, but wherever and help get people aware of what you're doing, I would have said, man, no one's going to do that for me. So the fact that you guys do that is awesome. I'll see what I can put together. What I'll probably do is I'll probably do some regular shows, so I have the interest segment and all, but what I'll do is I'll make available a piece that, that wipes out the intro and the exit and just makes it totally tailored. I'll put that somewhere as an MP3 that could be downloaded separately, and if you guys want to do that, hey, again, I'm honored. I think it's a great suggestion. I think it's a good thing that when people ask you about this stuff, that maybe you do have a tool that you're able to give to them and say, hey, look, this is not what you think it is. This is what it really is. It probably will revolve around my ten principles uh, of, of modern survivalism, but maybe I'll tone it back a little bit and make it a little bit uh, more uh, generic and uh, more focused on, let's say, activity than causative factor might be a way to term it. But good suggestion. I'll see what I can do for you. Look for it next week. Hi, Jack. This is John in Salt Lake. I had uh, kind of a thought and, and maybe a question for you for the show. Uh, I know that sometimes, uh, well, your your audience consists of all kinds of people from all different backgrounds and political sways. And I recently heard something that I thought might be interesting for you and, and your listeners to kind of unify us in this common uh, goal of survival and, and to support um, freedom for the people. I, I'd heard a, a lawyer say that really there's just two kinds of law in the world. There's the people's law, which... Ideally, we have an America and then ruler's law, which is like your dictatorship. And I, I think we as a people of the, of the United States could probably get behind something more if we realize that people's law is what we're aiming for. Um, but slowly our politicians uh, are slipping in things in legislation that slowly move power to ruler's law. Anyway, that's, that's my comment. And your, the question is, uh, do you think that's the case, that they're trying to slowly move power from the people to the ruler? And if so, uh, do you think that this is something that might unify us as survivalists if we if we can see that that's happening and get behind this type of um, ideal instead of getting stuck on specifics? Anyway, thanks for the show. I uh, appreciate it. Bye. I have to say, I've never heard it quite put that way before, but it pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? And... Uh, I, I don't know. I don't think that our, our vaulted overlords, our Congress clowns, our Senate clowns, our presidential clowns, and these, these people that make up our Supreme Court that seem to think they're supposed to write law instead of decide whether laws should be written in the first, you know, whether the law is constitutional. That's really what they should be doing. Um, I don't think they sit around and go, let's start writing ruler law now so that we can take over. I think that 
what we've seen is a nation that's been around now for well over 200 years with a Republican form of government. This is a republic, folks. This is not a democracy. It's a democratically elected republic. And that is supposed to be the most representative government that there is that doesn't prevent people from doing things like voting themselves money out of the coffer, which is what's starting to happen. But the other side of that is uh, you have a government that starts out relatively small as it did in the days of our founders and grows to this huge monstrosity and gets involved in people's lives with the genuine intent most of the time to actually make the lives of the people better. That it really is the intent of government and, and really it's the intent of any government, just some people get really skewed and screwed up about the way they go about doing that and they fail miserably in the attempt. Communism is not designed to oppress people. It's designed to make everybody equal and everything wonderful and everybody have what they need. It just doesn't freaking work, right? But it's not like the people that are in the communist government go, I want to kill people. It's, it's not like that. They're misguided in their attempt to create this utopia. And it's the same thing we've done with our republic, where we've decided that we need to make sure that nobody ever goes hungry, that nobody ever goes without medical care, that nobody ever goes without anything, nobody ever goes homeless and folks, I'm sorry, that's not the way that it works. There's actually people that want to be homeless. And maybe we need to leave them alone. There's people that really don't want to be homeless, and we need to put, put programs in place so that they can work their way out of that space. But we can't just fix it for them. Now, what does this have to do with a ruler's law versus a people's law? Well, see, people's law is designed to allow people the freedom to act right up until the point that they don't interfere with others. It's libertarian. It's extremely libertarian. It means that, you know, we'll pass a law that says Jack can't steal your TV set. That's a people's law. It does infringe upon my liberty to steal, but only to protect your liberty to have private property. When you move beyond that, you move into what you're calling ruler's law, and what I've just always simply called oppressive law, and that simply means that now instead of protecting Tom from Joe, we're protecting the government from the people, or we're uh, forcing the people to take something whether they want it or not, or we're providing something to people that they should be responsible for providing to themselves. How do we get there is pretty simple, though. Um, once you have an instrument like government in place, they feel the need to act, to do something. They have to get reelected. They have to promise their constituents, I'm going to bring you something back. Well, here's the reality. We've had all the law that we need in this country, with a few exceptions, for well over 100 years. We haven't needed a new law. Uh, for Maybe there's a couple that we've passed. There's some things with civil rights. Uh, there's some things that with new technologies that have come out that have needed to be addressed. And some legacies of the you know not our finest hours in the past that needed to be rectified. But other than those, we haven't needed new laws. The society has all the law that it needs, but the only thing the government does is pass law. So we have like, like a Texas state capital now coming down with a law that says children under 8 years old have to be in a freaking car seat. Why do they do this stuff? I mean, that's not going to empower them really, but it is oppressive to the people. It's because they run out of things to do. And they just start looking around and going, we got to do something. We got everything's not perfect. We have to make it perfect. The problem is that the people of the United States aren't ready for the type of government we need right now. You're not ready to accept it yet. Hopefully they will become so as they become more self-sufficient. That's why I promote self-sufficiency. The best government we, ha we could possibly have today would be about one um, one-fifth or 20% the size that it is today. It would be that much smaller. It would do only 20% of what it's doing today, and it would pass laws very seldomly. We don't need more laws. We're at a point now where there are so many laws that any law tends to empower government rather than embolden and empower people. And that's just a natural progression because we've gotten too big and we've been around for too long and we need to change things, but we need to do that in a, what people will call regressive. Well, I'm just fine with regressive. That means going back to the way things used to be. I'll talk about that with another question that's coming up in a bit, but that's the best answer I can give you to that. Good morning, Jack. Reluctant Warrior from the Ohio Valley calling with a possible solution for the person who was prevented from raising chickens because of an HOA situation. Uh, here in the Ohio Valley, there was a law professor who wanted to build a larger garage for his boat than his HOA would allow. He drew up elaborate plans, spent a lot of time researching and getting the architecture uh, just right, took his proposal to the board, and they shut him down without even looking at the plans. So, being a lawyer, he hit the books, found an obscure Pacific Island religion, 
that worships large fallacies. And then, pardon the pun, he erected this phallus in his front yard and was taken to court by the HOA, and it was thrown out because of the religion issue. And needless to say, uh, he was allowed to build his garage, and he took the phallus down when that happened. So not sure if that's uh, tenable for the person, but it is a solution and a victory that we know of against the HOAs. Thanks again. <laughs> Isn't that great? Folks, what that tells you is there is always a solution to any problem and that you need to equip yourself with the right tools. They say when uh, when the only tool you own is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Here's the person that figured out how to use the slide ruler the right way. huh? Um, that's interesting, and uh, I don't know if it's something you should just start doing all the time, but as you know, the Homeowners Association in, and I are mortal enemies. I despise them. I refuse to live within one. Uh, I would possibly threaten physical violence to people who would try to establish one where I live. Um, in my, my property that I have in Arkansas, we have what's called a neighborhood covenant, uh, but it basically states some limitations, and they're very few. Uh, of to how properties can be allocated and used and, and things like that. And it, the covenant itself states that nothing more can be done. The, the, the covenant is not just, you know, not only can you not put five, you know, mobile homes on your five-acre lot and uh, turn it into, you know, kind of a dump in, in a, in a low-end rental property that you can only have one, one occupied structure for five acres, but the covenant also restricts itself. It's like a constitutional uh, covenant, basically. It basically says that this covenant as it stands is as it shall be for eternity and that we cannot apply more restrictions as private individuals, um, period. So it's protective on both ends. Uh, so that's something to consider if you're worried about, well, if we don't have a homeowners association, somebody will come in here and you know put 52 junk cars in the front yard or what have you. So uh, it's probably against local ordinances anyway. But that's creative. Uh, I'll give you that. I would also say maybe, just maybe, we can find a, an obscure religion somewhere that worships the chicken. And if we found that, you could just go, instead of putting the giant phallus in the front yard, you just put your chicken coop in and throw yourself a little decorations on it and say, hey, my, my religion uh, requires me to keep chickens. Maybe we could create the chicken religion. Who knows? Um, I hate to see things being used that way because they're just as often used against people with common sense as they are used by people with common sense. But since the courts are doing this crap anyway, one of the best ways to defend yourself is turn the opponent its weapon upon himself. Uh, so maybe that's what we need to be doing with some of these busybodies that go in and cause problems with situations like this, is take their own thing and shove it back at them. Maybe we'd accomplish more than one thing. Maybe not only would we get uh, the common sense rectified where, hey, you know what, if I want to keep a couple chickens, if they're not bothering you, leave me alone. But maybe we would also make these people think twice about how often they're going to use religion and things like that as a sword. Because when you start having something turn back on you, it changes your perspective. So I don't know, but it's creative. I'll, I'll give you that. And the thing is, now, if you went and put a giant phallus in your front yard to blackmail your uh, HOA, uh, you have legal precedent to stand on. That's kind of interesting. So um, don't really know if I was called to answer much there, uh, but there's my comments on it. Let's go ahead and take another question. Hello, Jack. This is Ramon Gomez, RMG7 at the forum. I wanted to propose a topic related to healthcare. I posted a, a an email on it on the subject, um, giving some ideas. But I think my question to you is: What would you do as an individual um, to protect yourself and your family uh, in case of a major accident? Uh, if you weren't able to or weren't willing to. Uh, put out the money monthly for a uh, health care plan, an insurance card. So just some thoughts on your part uh, related to that issue and uh, how that ties into the health care reform and your views. And, you know, just, just to get this health care topic uh, rolling, uh, and perhaps with more depth and uh, some practical ideas as to what we can do. Thanks a lot. Take care. Okay, I'm not going to do a whole show on that because 
in spite of the fact that I talk about politics from time to time, this is not a political show. This is a show for prepping. Uh, but it's a legitimate question. I've made comments on it, so you're, you're right to call me out and ask me what I would do. Let me answer what I would do if I did not have the money for full boat health insurance right now. What would I do about that problem? I would get catastrophic uh, major medical only, and I would carry that, and I would pay cash. Uh, as best I can, and I would try to find a doctor willing to work with me as best I can uh, for, for you know, day-to-day typical medical needs. I would c- continue to keep myself healthy as I do now. Um, I would try to avoid prescription medications at all costs anyway unless they're necessary for the preservation or extension of my life. Um, I would not believe a doctor every time he said I needed a medication. So that's what I would do. Um, it may very well be exactly what we do when we move to Arkansas, uh, is I probably won't have access to, uh, you know, good old fashioned group health insurance through employment any longer once I make that move. So that's what I would do there. Now, let's look at a bigger question. How would Jack Spierko solve this, this healthcare reform problem? What would I do? My solution is so simplistic. Uh, but no one's ever going to go for it because the only people that win would be you, the American public, uh, and the doctors and the nurses. So that's not who we're looking to help here. And when you hear my solution, if you are open-minded about it, you will understand that it really would help everybody. I would outlaw health insurance in its current form. There would no longer be health insurance that paid for a doctor's freaking visit. There would no longer be health insurance that had you doing a $10 copay on a medication you can go to Walmart and buy for 5 bucks. All right? Or a $20 copay on a medication you could buy where you're paying the $20 copay for 20 for 12 bucks. Uh we had that with a prescription recently over at Costco. We went in, our copay on the medication was $20. We said, "How much is this? This shouldn't be expensive." They said it's 12.95. So we'd like to just pay for it. So it actually costs us less to not use the insurance for the for the prescription. So I would outlaw all forms of health insurance that try to cover you cradle to the grave for all things. Um, the only type of health insurance that you would be able to have uh, would be a major medical catastrophic. That would be it. That, I would I would outline you know benefit ceilings and things like that and say, look, this is what insurance companies can provide now. And I would open all the state borders and say any insurance company that's qualified to do business anywhere in the United States is qualified to do business everywhere in the United States. And I would open up competition in that market. That would drive the cost of health insurance premiums down through the floor where anybody that was you know useful and did anything for themselves, got up off their ass and worked, would be able to afford basic catastrophic health insurance. It would be dirt cheap, folks. The next thing that would happen is your visits to your doctors, your basic tests, your screenings, uh, your drugs, all that shit would become so cheap, you, you, anybody would be able to afford it because there wouldn't be a pig trough of money created by this insurance cartel any longer. And it would fix everything. And folks, it was that way not that long ago. Even in the 70s, there was health insurance, but it hadn't caught on like it did, it has yet. And we would go to the doctor, and it would be 15 to $20 for the doctor visit. And if I had a blood test when I was a little kid, that would cost 10 bucks. I know 70s money, but what, double it? Triple it? How, how much more does it need to be to be today's dollars? And how affordable would that be compared to paying even your copay with your employer for your employer-provided insurance? Uh, the entire system is designed to suck money. And all the government's trying to do is saying, we don't want all this money sucked into the private sector. We want more of it sucked into the public sector as well. But it's still a money suck. So that's how I'd fix it. That's how I'd work with it up till now. And uh, that's probably what I'm going to do. It's a good question, fair question. I gave you my answer. I know a lot of you might not agree with it. But before you disagree with it, please consider it deeply and ask yourself the questions. What would happen if we did it? What would really happen? How long would it take for all these price corrections? Why are there drug companies out there right now selling a drug that could be manufactured? You could manufacture a 55-gallon drum of the drug for about 50 bucks, a dollar a gallon, and they're selling them for $5 a pill. Why are they doing that? If they actually had to compete for the dollars in your pocket, how much profit margin would they choose on their own? We don't have to put a government restriction we just have to take away this uh, this money laundering scheme that's being used to feed this beast. So that's what I would do. It ain't going to happen because nobody's really interested in your government of actually fixing your problem. They're interested in how they can help whichever side of the special interest they're on, and that goes for both sides of the aisle. Hey, Jack, this is Jack from Oklahoma. 
I really, really enjoyed your uh, your podcast on squirrel hunting. Man, I wish that you did more podcasts on hunting like that. I really like it. I also really like the um, the new format of the show. Um, I really like how you've kind of shortened all the intro before you get into the meat and taters of your of your podcast. Uh, one little comment, something that a lot of people probably don't know in relation to the squirrel hunting, is I talked to a, an older gentleman here a while back that was telling me that the way that they made it through the Depression was by eating squirrels, and uh, they didn't have the money for 22 shells and things like that, and they'd just get a rat trap and uh, screw it to a tree and just set it, and eventually they'd catch themselves a mess of squirrel. So that would be something good for some preppers to think about. Uh, Jack, appreciate you. I really like the show. And like I said, I'd really like to see more more shows related to hunting and so forth uh, to the small game. Uh, thanks a lot. Keep rocking, man. Bye. Well, you know what? I'll try to do more on hunting. Uh, maybe I'll do an upcoming show on deer hunting. I, I love to deer hunt. Um, I am... Uh, Recently, I've been much more a rifle hunter for deer than a bow hunter, but I'm a bow hunter at heart, and uh, when I get more time freedom, which I think I'll have next year, um, I'm going to go back to doing mostly bow hunting. So if I talk about deer, I'm going to probably talk a lot about the bow as well uh, because it's uh, it's something once you experience it, you'll understand it, and until you do, you won't. And I'll try to do more on hunting in general. Maybe I can do some stuff on just like, you know, small game hunting across the country might be a good show. Everything from doves and ducks and geese to squirrels and rabbits and pheasants. And the, the odds are that there is some type of small game hunting available to you no matter where you live in the world. Or in the nation, I should say. Maybe not the world. A lot of places you can't own the gun to do the hunting with. But wherever you live in this country, there's probably something you can go hunt. You don't have to be wealthy to hunt. I mean, if you're in Texas, it's hard to hunt deer here on public land. Uh, way harder than even states like Pennsylvania, Ohio, New York, uh, where you guys think it's crowded up there. It's just, it's different here. You'd have to experience it. I've hunted both locations. I'll tell you, public land's tough down here in Texas. And private land is extremely expensive. But the same guy that's going to charge you thousands and thousands of dollars for a short-term deer lease, if you go in and say, hey, look, I'd like to just come into these eastern woods here and shoot some squirrels or come out into your, your plains and shoot some jackrabbits and coyotes, um, They'll welcome you. You probably won't have to pay them a dime. They'll be happy to have you there uh, as long as you can earn their trust, which is always the case with getting permission to hunt. So I'll do what I can with that. Now, on your squirrel squirrel rat trap idea, that's actually uh, a great point. And uh, when I was at Dirt Time 09, one of the things that Dave Canterbury um, had of the Pathfinder School uh, that he says he keeps in the pack a lot of times as a method of trapping is a, a, a plain old rat trap. Um, that's been spray painted with uh, OD green paint, so it doesn't stand out in the woods as much as you know the nice bright white, you know uh, whatever that wood is, probably birch that they make those things out of or pine. Um, so that's that's a great idea. Here's what I'll add to it: um, attaching it to a tree, fine. You're not going to have to worry about it. Um, but I would say if you're going to use a rat trap as a trapping tool in the wilderness or in your own backyard, drill a hole in it and attach a very strong wire to it where you can wire it to something so that even if you're setting it on the ground, let's say, you can wire it to a wall if you're doing it in a shed or wire it to a tree if it's in the bush. Because a lot of times uh, an animal that you'll trap in the trap is capable of dra dragging the trap a while before it's actually killed. I hate to say that, but there's a lot of creatures that are not killed instantly by a rat trap, especially really big rats uh, or pr possibly really big squirrels. For squirrel trapping, I don't think it's legal in a lot of places, but if it's legal, I guess you could do it. But putting it up in the tree I like because it's going to keep cats and dogs from getting into it. And one thing you need to be aware of whenever you're doing any trapping is how can you minimize the possibility of animals that you do not wish to trap becoming trapped. Traps are very indiscriminate. They can maim and they can hurt animals. Now, I'm not opposed to trapping. I'm just saying learn your craft well. Uh, I used to use uh, coil spring leg hold traps. I ran a trap line as a uh, as a teenager as part of a way to earn money up in uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, I trapped raccoons. I trapped possums. I trapped muskrats. Unfortunately, from time to time, I would trap a skunk. Um, I only ever once uh, accidentally trapped a cat. Uh, and I believe it was a feral cat. I was able to release it. I probably should have killed it, but I just didn't want to kill it because I didn't have a reason to kill it. 
uh, and it was close enough to some rural area uh, that it, it may have been somebody's pet, and I was able to release it fairly unharmed. It was pretty upset, uh, but you really have to think about what you're doing with traps. But yeah, rat traps, uh, dead solid method of uh, making large rodents dead. And if you needed to feed yourself with squirrels, you could do a hell of a lot with a few rat traps. And probably your best bait for the for the rat trap, by the way, folks, including for catching rats, peanut butter. Smear the peanut butter into the trigger. It's almost impossible to get it out of there without setting it off uh, because rats will routinely figure out how to take that piece of cheese out of your rat trap. I promise you that. Let's go ahead and take another question. Hey, Jack. Tom Wiles here, a.k.a. Trucker Tom. I've got a couple of questions for you, and these may seem kind of like silly questions, but uh, I ask them in, uh, seriously, and I'm looking for answers. I drive a truck over the road. I'm gone about three, three and a half weeks at a time. I live in uh, Arkansas. I would like to move into gardening, uh, but obviously I really can't because I'm gone so much of the time. Nonetheless, I would like to uh, at least move in that direction just in case the worst happens. Do you know of any plant or plants, perhaps wild plants, that one could plant in a garden bed that would sort of help prepare the soil for serious gardening at some point. The other question I have for you is, uh, you've got property in Arkansas, your bug out location. You're currently living in uh, Texas. Do you have any plans, any contingency plans, uh, if... Texas does the unthinkable and secedes from the uh, United States of America. Do you have any contingency plans uh, to uh, as to what you'll do? What would your plans be? Now, you know, quite frankly, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that uh, people are beginning to uh, wake up, and I think that uh, people, the common sense is going to end up taking back over, and you know, I don't think that Texas is going to secede. I don't think that the United States is going to lose any states over what's going on. But uh, nonetheless, it's an interesting question to think about. Great show. Keep up the great work. We'll catch you later. Well, two interesting questions there. Let's start with the garden one, the easier one, I guess. Um, there are some things you can plant that will help prepare soil, and they're really anything that's a legume. Uh, one of the best things you could do if you wanted something totally kind of carefree that you just mowed it like a lawn uh, when you get home from your long truck runs, um, you could use clover. Clover's probably, you know, New Zealand or uh, what's the other one, uh, the Dutch white clover, either one of those. Uh, make a pretty good lawn. Uh, so basically you'd have these beds that are just basically uh, uh, clover. That's the best thing I can recommend you sow, and what that's going to do is put a tremendous amount of nitrogen in your soil, and when eventually you come back and uh, till that soil a little bit and start planting in it, there's going to be a tremendous amount of nitrogen down there at that point, and that's going to be your hardest uh, thing to get out of native soil is nitrogen. Usually phosphorus and potash are really not that uh, scarce, honestly, and if they are, they're very, very easy to supplement, where nitrogen often pushes you more toward using chemical fertilizers uh, when you would prefer not to, uh, because even though it's in manure, it's only so available, and by having two different types of nitrogen in the soil, you're going to be able to grow more intensive crops like corn uh, than you would if you, if you didn't use chemical fertilizers, you didn't have that prep work in advance. I would say, though, that while you're traveling, the problem with just saying, well, like, the ground's ready for farming or gardening if I ever get to the point where I want to do it, is that, okay, now something happens and you come off the road, and, and I've listened, and by the way, folks, Tom has his own podcast, it's kind of cool, I'll see if I can find a link to it, put it in today's show notes, but I've listened to his show a little bit, and I know he's got quite a bit of food stored up, so Tom's sitting on, like, I think a year. So if you sit on a year, you're going to be able to get your crops going within that year after kind of a shit hit the fan so that it's there. But wouldn't it be nice if you were producing something for yourself? I understand what it's like to be an over-the-road driver. And I understand how often you're gone, and having a conventional garden may not be really feasible. What I would encourage you to think about, though, is maybe putting in some drip irrigation on timers so that things get watered when you're away and start thinking about planting things that are more of a harvest permaculture crop that you harvest at one time of the year, apples, peaches, 
Arkansas is one of the greatest places in the world, man, for growing blackberries, uh, raspberries, and strawberries. Those three berry crops will grow very well. They require very little of your attention, and you can plant them in little clumps and maybe prepare a few places for your garden uh, when you either finally come off the road by choice or hopefully not, but because you have to. Um, so either one of those, maybe, maybe kind of that blended approach would be better. Now, what do I do if Texas secedes from the Union? Um, first of all, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I'm a proponent of secession being talked about by Texas. Um, actually doing it would require a lot more detail before I could say whether I'd be for it or not. How would it be done? Under what pretext? Uh, what form of government would the state set up for itself? What type of relations would it seek with what was left of the Union? All of these things would be things I'd have to know before I'd tell you whether or not it even made sense. And in many instances, a lot of the people that are the most vocal about it may not necessarily be the people that I would really want behind it. The reason I like the talk is it's a reminder to the federal government this is a republic and therefore your states are here at their choosing, and you need to serve us better and get out of our state-level business. right? So my, my hope for the secession movement in Texas, Montana, Alaska, is that maybe it's like a marriage where one partner is behaving in a way that is just not conducive to the marriage at all, uh, maybe you've got a marriage where the guy's out drinking every night with his buddies, isn't taking care of the kids, is uh, working a loser job and has no intention of getting any better. Maybe he's running around occasionally with women. Maybe he's not cheating, but he's just acting in a way he shouldn't. So the wife says, listen, I don't want this marriage to end, but if you don't stop conducting yourself this way, it's going to have to end. And the goal of that is not to end the marriage. It's to get the guy's attention, get him into counseling, and let's try to rebuild the relationship because there's a reason that we got married in the first place. That's how I see our nation. Now, if it did happen, I can't tell you what I would do. If it was a bunch of crazy freaks in Texas that we're going to turn this into some kind of, and I've heard people talk about this, I don't think it's true, but I've heard people talk about there's a group of Texans that want to basically create a Christian version of the Taliban in Texas, where people have to live by Christian law. Well, I, I didn't sign up for that. So if that actually have somehow they pulled that off, then I would go to Arkansas. If they set up a government here in Texas that was representative of the people's interests and saw good relations with the United States, and it looked like it was going to work, and you'd be able to travel across the border with with maybe no more hassle than traveling across the Canadian border. I'd, I'd probably keep my Texas residents and my U.S. residents my U.S. residents so I could get away with it. I'd probably keep both. Probably I don't know, but I just don't think I'm ever going to have to make that decision. It's interesting to ponder, but I don't know that it's very practical. Um, but here's the deal for me. Whether it's a natural disaster or some type of political disaster, by having residencies in two states, I have additional options no matter what comes, and that is proper disaster and preparedness planning. Uh, good questions, Tom. Kind of creative. Let's go ahead and uh, take another one. Hey, Jack. How's it going? This is uh, Spooky One from the forums. I was thinking about this the other day. Which, who was the last president that you did like? You always say how you don't like Obama, you didn't like Bush, you didn't like Clinton. I'm just wondering, what was the last president that you actually liked or at least came close to agreeing with on most issues? Bye. Uh, remember, folks, this is a listener call-in show. It only gets as political as you guys ask it to be here. Um, fair question, and it's something I've thought about a lot. Let me tell you this. I did not like Bush Sr. Uh, very much at all because he broke his word to the American people. I did not like Bill Clinton because he broke his word to the American people. I definitely didn't like Bush Jr. because I want to know where the man who served as my governor went when he supposedly went to Washington. Because George Bush was a damn good governor of Texas. He, he promised certain things, and everything he promised he delivered, and if he said he wouldn't do something, he didn't do it. And what he did made sense for the state, and he was articulate and well-spoken. And if you don't believe that, look up some old video footage of the man when he was governor of our state. It's almost like he was abducted by aliens and had his brain lobotomized when he became president. I thought he was going to be a good president. Uh, by the middle of his first term, I was done with him. And I was done with Republicans at that point as well. Um, of those people, Bush Sr., Clinton, uh, B Bush Jr., and now Obama, if you said, who's my favorite of the four, this will shock some people. Bill Clinton was. 
Uh, Bill Clinton I have a lot of reasons to dislike, and he's not on my list of presidents I like or admire, but of those four, I think he was the best of the four. In spite of the fact that there were some areas I had huge differences with him on, at least he wasn't running the country completely into the ground with spending the way Bush, uh, Bush Jr. and Obama uh, did. And he broke his word over a personal issue, not a you know a, a campaign promise. Um, I think he was a douche because he had dealings with China that he shouldn't have that's weakened our position there, and I don't like any of them. So that leads us back to Reagan. Reagan was a... I hate to say this, he was a good president. And I say I hate to say that because there's a lot of problems there too, and the man really increased the debt load of this country, but if you look at the debt load he created versus the debt load of our last two ass clowns... Um, it's it's almost insignificant in comparison. You look at the hockey stick of the debt from the last two years of Bush to the first year now of Obama, and, and you look at that compared to Reagan. It looks like Reagan was uh, was a tightwad. Um, I think he was what our nation needed at the time. I'm biased because I was in school uh, and I was paying attention. Uh, during the Reagan years. And it seemed like my nation got better and more optimistic, and I think it was what we needed at the time. When I look at it critically, um, I can't say that it was much different for the nation, really, um, on a stability level and an economic level uh, than a lot of other presidents. He increased spending and he increased the power of government. So you say, well, Jack, well, how far back do you got to go to where you're really happy with somebody? Um, this might shock some. I'm actually a pretty decent fan of Teddy Roosevelt. We're well back over 100 years now, though, aren't we? Uh, he gave us the national park system. He did some other things I wasn't really fond of. But he was, no doubt, was a patriot who believed in this country and was not really a sellout uh, until the end. And I think he got twisted and turned. And if we had got the young, ambitious, adventurous Teddy as our president, uh, rather than a vice president that fell into the office and got corrupted by the powers that be, I think we would have got a much better president. But there's black eyes there, too. So where do I have to go to really say that there's a president that I liked? Uh, back to number seven, Andrew Jackson. Uh, Andrew Jackson was the first Ron Paul. Andrew da- Jackson is the guy that destroyed the first semblance of a Federal Reserve System in the form of a central bank. He was the guy that brought us the greenback. He was the guy that made our currency worth something. He was the guy that was tough enough to stand up to all the corruption when it came down to business. And I know people will point in any president and say, well, here's corruption. here," And there, there absolutely has been corruption in every president and the administration back to Washington. George Washington did things I didn't like. But my favorite president of all time is Andrew Jackson because he gave the country the liberty economically to sort itself out. And it lasted all the way up. And it wasn't 19, uh, 1913 with the Federal Reserve Act. It was really Abraham Lincoln, believe it or not, that put us on the pathway to going back into a Federal Reserve system. And uh, that's a shame. And uh, Lincoln, Lincoln's another one of those presidents. Really great things he did, really terrible things he did. If you took slavery out of the equation, the South was right in the Civil War. But we can't take slavery out of the equation, so the North was right in the Civil War. Uh, The fact that Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, which paved the way for all the civil liberties that have been given, rightfully so, uh, to black Americans, absolutely makes him one of the greatest presidents of all time. The fact that he stepped on states' rights, that, that that, that, that war really was not about slavery. It really wasn't. It took two years after it started for him to sign the Emancipation Proclamation. It was about states' rights, and since he trampled states' rights, um, you know, he doesn't go on the, the good the good guy list long term for our nation uh, in all things, just some things. But president I really liked Andrew Jackson, modern president that I thought was okay, uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, pretty. Big fan of Ike, but I have some bias there that I'll talk about in another show. Why I'm a bias uh, uh, guy when it comes to uh, General Eisenhower and uh, some things that he has touched on. Uh, actually, both sides of my family: my grandfather on one side, and my uh, my wife's grandfather on the other. Both had personal dealings with uh, Ike Eisenhower, and that's uh, maybe clouded my view a little bit. From being completely honest, best I can do for you. The real real answer is. I don't like government, I don't trust government, and uh, if you want to give me a president I'll like today, give me Ron Paul, 
And uh, the reason I want Ron Paul as president is I really don't think he wants to be president. He wants to change what the presidency means and make it less powerful. And uh, that's what I'm looking for in a president today is or a, a governor uh, or a, uh, a, a senator or a, a congressman. I'm looking for people to shrink government. And not in these little token ways that the Republicans give us some time, but in real long-term mean, meaningful ways. I want to see our government decrease to maybe 20% of what it is. So I'm not a fan of anybody that keeps making it bigger. Hello, Jack. This is Radar on the blog. Um, I have a question considering um, the possibility that uh, we're moving into a socialist type era now and the uh, possibility we might not be able to own two different properties um, I'm wondering what you would think of uh, how we could take one property if paid for and put it into a irrevocable trust would that be something that might <clears throat> offstay the socialist possible um, take over of, of one of our properties. Um, you could research that and, and let us know what you think of it. This, if I don't think this is too tinfoil hat, but uh, you can decide that. Anyhow, thanks for your comment. Um, we'll be listening. Bye. Well, an irrevocable trust is is a tool. And it can do a lot of things for you. And one of the things it could do is really help to protect land as an asset uh, from lawsuits and, and things like that. And once it's in a trust, then you can take another entity and set it up as owning the trust. And it's really a tool that's used more by the wealthy to protect assets. Uh, and it does make things like inheritance a little bit more complicated and difficult. And it's something you're going to have to ask an attorney about to get any more opinion on it than that. Let me address the heart, the core of your question, though. Um, I don't think that just because the United States is becoming more socialist that it's going to be impossible for you to own two pieces of property. I, I, I don't see that coming any time in our near future. I, I think that the fear is not really founded. I think that that's one of, the, one of those lines in the sand that, that shall not be crossed, so to speak, where... If our government tries to do that, then we're getting a popular uprising of the people that's going to get dirty and nasty and physical, and it's going to be that dark road that I've always said I, I don't want to go down. And I would think that if our government would change law to say you can't own two pieces of property, that they would just say, well, you can't do it through an irrevocable trust either. At the point that they did that, our law has been gutted and dissected and, and, and emaciated to the point where you're not going to hide under the same law that's being used against you at that point. It's going to be a time where you're going to have to stand and fight. So I wouldn't worry about it that much. I would say, though, that the more people that own two pieces of property the harder it would ever be to do something like that. So instead of worrying about what might happen, take advantage of the opportunity to own property today. I really think that's a huge thing. I don't think the government can take the stance of doing that, even if it wanted to, because of how many people in this nation need places to rent. Um, let, let's be honest, folks. Um, there's a lot of people in this country who just can't own a house. We saw what happened when we tried to make more of them that should not be owning owners. Uh, it near destroyed the global economy, not just our own. So, so we went down that road. We know we can't go back there again. Sooner or later, some dumbass will. It'll be an ass clown. Probably not the next administration, but the one after. That'll go down that road again and screw it all up again. And we'll go through the cycle all over again. And people will go, didn't we learn? And the answer will be no. And, you know, maybe we'll do it again if we hold it together that long. I don't know. But I wouldn't worry about it that much. And I would say that when you look at how you structure ownership of a property, it's a good time to sit down with an attorney and discuss your individual situation, the laws of the individual states, which state are you a resident of, are you owning the state as a re the property as a resident of a state or a non-resident state, what are your total assets and things like that. And you're going to have to do a lot bigger analysis. But I sure as hell wouldn't ever um, make those decisions based on the fact that Barack Obama is the evil empire overlord who is going to come and say, Mr. You know, John, you can no longer own two pieces of property. I think that sometimes we go way too far out there. And I think this is an example of that. I haven't even actually heard that brought up before. I'm not sure what brought it to your attention, if there's something uh, hard 
evidence that maybe we would go that way. I'd like to hear what it is. I'm not picking on you or anything. I'm just saying that it's very easy to get caught up in these fears instead of remembering who we are. Folks, we're American citizens. This is our nation. These ass clowns in Washington, my ass clowns in Austin, your ass clowns at whatever state capital you're at, your ass clowns at your county courthouse, your city courthouse, all of these ass clowns, they're not in charge. Now, they think they're in charge. Their, their goal is to be in charge. Yeah, they're practicing that that form of law that's, that we, we learned today is called ruler's law, but it doesn't mean that they're rulers. We can get rid of them anytime we choose as a people to have the will to get rid of them. Anytime. We need to remember that, and we occasionally need to remind them that. We need to pick up a phone and call your congressional clown once in a while. Even if nothing's going on that you're that alarmed or upset about, or you've called them a million times on either side of an issue. Remember, I don't tell you what side of the issue to be on. But once in a while, you just need to call them up and go, Hey, you know what? I want you guys to do nothing today. How about you guys take a break from screwing with our lives? I'm not happy with you. you know. Or if they do something right, call them up tell them, Hey, you know what? You've done something right. Don't think it gets you off the hook for the things that you've done wrong. Stay in touch with these idiots. Vote. Understand, a vo- a voting for a third party is not throwing your vote away. It's throwing your vote away as long as people believe the lie that it's throwing your vote away. As soon as we actually start to take a third party or a fourth party seriously, maybe we can get some things done into the dismantling effect. I don't want this show to really be a political show today, and this is my last question. Um, but let me just, if I can, as I sum things up for you today, remind you of why politics matters. A lot of the reasons that you prep folks, a lot of the reasons that you have food stored in your home, or that you have a bug out location, or you have an evacuation plan, isn't just the things that can go wrong in government, but your understanding of the ineptitude and incompetence of government. If you don't trust government to manage a disaster, don't trust them to turn something that's working sort of okay into something better. Expect that if they can't handle a disaster, they're probably good at creating them. And a lot of the things the government says they need to get involved with, they're disasters waiting to happen. That's why we prepare. But taking the politics out of this stuff, just to sum up today, let me remind you of why you do the things that you do. You don't do them out of fear. But whether the fear comes from government, the, the fear comes from the, the bacterial and viral world, the, the fear comes from natural disaster, you don't do them in fear. You don't do them because of fear. Maybe fear's your wake-up call. Maybe you need that. And if you need that, fine. Use it, harness it, but get over it as quickly as possible. You do these things to be bold. You do these things to be in control. You do these things to be self-sufficient. You do these things so that you get to determine what happens in your own life. The fact that the government might do something someday, maybe something that should keep us on alert a little bit to hold them back and make sure that they don't do it, but it sure as hell shouldn't impede our actions before the problem is even in the way. Let me put it another way. Would you say, well, I'm not going to go invest in a gun because the government has a long history of trying to take away gun rights. No. You'd say, well, I'm buying a gun while I can get one. Well, if you're afraid to come and take away a piece of property, buy the piece of property while you can get your hands on it now. Does that make sense? If you're concerned that the government may someday interfere with your ability to set up a small farm, and you want to set up a small farm, do it now so they have to take it from you, not preventing you from getting it. If you're afraid that one day we could have a great big true pandemic, and you might be locked down in your home today, don't let that make you afraid to go outside today, but be prepared to deal with the situation as it comes. If you're afraid that someone may steal from your home, that doesn't mean you don't buy nice things. It means you have a means to defend them, and maybe you have insurance on your property. You see, we cannot live paralyzed. Not by government, not by the world, not by life, not by biology, not by anything. To, to live that way is, is, is tyranny. And there's so many Americans today, and so many people around the globe, it's not government tyranny that you're living under, you're living under self-imposed tyranny. You're the one telling yourself, I can't do this, they'll just take it away from me, I don't have the opportunity anymore. Stupid politicians, stupid doctors, stupid insurance companies, it's everybody's fault but ours. Well, the reality we is we have the ability to influence our lives more than any other human being on the planet. Yeah, those clowns cause problems for us, from the corporate sector, from the government sector. 
Alright? There's no secret that I have no love for any of them. From the jackasses at Monsanto to the jackasses at Washington, D.C., and a million other jackasses in the middle. But in the end, the jack that controls my life is myself. And sometimes that requires me to be a jackass in my own life. Right? To stand up to somebody and say, you're not going to do this to me. Or I'm not letting you do this to somebody else. Or saying, this person over here is an ass clown. And telling you about them so you know that they're an ass clown. But when it comes right down to it, I have more influence over my life by going out my door and planting a garden and providing food for myself than the government can ever have. Because the government is only going to ever have as much influence and control over our lives as we allow. This is still a nation of the people, for the people, and by the people. It's been corrupted, but it's still there. All you have to do is stand up and take it back. It doesn't start at the ballot box. It starts in your own home. It starts with you. You want to know where to look? Start with a mirror. Do that. You'll start asking yourself, how do I do these things to better my life now? Damn what may come. I will live for today and plan for tomorrow. I will not live today in fear of tomorrow. You ask me what modern survivalism is really all about. That's what it's really all about. Living for today and planning for tomorrow. But not being impeded by what may come. Instead being emboldened by the knowledge that no matter what comes, you're the one that's responsible for you. You're the one that's in control. And you have the opportunity to live your life the way you want. If times get tough. Or if they don't. It really doesn't matter Cause it all gets spent